0: Now, here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, founder and executive director of Love Never Fails, Vanessa Russell.
2: and welcome to Love Never Fails Radio. We are in the studio today uh, with a special guest all the way from Quito, Ecuador. And we are so excited uh, to have you on the show. Uh, we have Brooke Stevenson, who is the Director of Development at the Hummingbird Wings Foundation, which is an anti-trafficking organization, again, located in Quito, Ecuador. Nice to have you on the show, Brooke.
1: Thank you. I'm very, very excited to be here.
2: Yeah, so uh, just grateful that you were able to, um, you know, jump on uh, the show from, from you know, so far away. And just giving the audience a little bit, listening audience, a little bit of your background. You're actually a native from the Bay Area. You have your master's degree in social work from the University of Chicago. And um, you participated in Cali- in a California statewide research project that looked at the outcomes for youth in foster care. Wow, I'm so fascinated we're going to talk quite a bit about that. And then worked as a therapist with survivors of childhood sexual abuse in the at the Chicago Children's Advocacy Center and with survivors of sex trafficking in South America. And you're really your passion is to advocate for equality and the eradication of human slavery and all violence against women. Um, and and I love this. You say in your bio, you're fully dedicated to supporting the team at Alas de Colibri or the humble bird wings foundation who, and, and you're managing several homes and just really caring for the, the, those that have been trafficked in Ecuador, right? Yeah,
1: it's uh, it's been a really interesting journey coming here and ending up in this work. And I still feel. Um, very humbled to even be a part of this conversation because I'm still rather new in the field of social work and um, especially human trafficking. So I'm on the ground learning a lot a lot about what's going on um, every day. And so it's just every day is a new learning experience and um, it's just been an interesting journey coming to this, but it has become such a, a deep-seated passion and desire of mine to, to do this work specifically.
2: Well, tell us a little bit. I'd love to get your take, you know, or your your history here in this space. Like what what made you, what drew you to um this this research project and this this work of you know addressing the issue of human trafficking. Um what, what what was it for you personally?
1: Yeah, so my interest in um sort of healing and mental health and and what mental health services look like um, began because I had several family members that had were, were diagnosed with pretty severe um, mental health disorders and then treated with antipsychotics. Um, and it turned out later that, that those family members did not actually have those um, disorders. They were misdiagnosed and then mismedicated. And so this really got me interested in the area of, you know, what do we do when, when we see someone that's struggling and, and how do we face it and what is the system that's in place to do so. So that was originally why I got interested, became interested in psychology and social work. Um, that shifted a little bit in college. I was part of a, a speech in um Well, many people know it as speech and debate in college. And I was part of a national team in which um, you you would do investigative studies on things that interested you and try to persuade and inform people at schools and universities around the country. Something I ended up investigating was um, the the over-medication and the misdiagnosis of children and youth in foster care. And this is really where I I really began to focus on social work um, because I saw that there was this extremely vulnerable population. I mean, especially I mean, California is such a big state and has so many kids in foster care. We're talking about so many children that aren't able to live in their home with their parents who you know, we know in families are your primary advocates. They're the people that are there for you when you fall under your knee um, up until when you need some type of medical or psychological service. So I I was seeing this pattern in my research about um, these children being given a lot of medications and a lot of diagnoses that aren't typically seen in young children and kids, things like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, these pretty severe diagnoses, um, and then given the, the related antipsychotics for those, um, for those disorders, and, and you begin to see this cycle of kids that are, that are moved around the country to different homes, to different centers, that are revisiting different psychologists, receiving different medications, different diagnoses, and this really, uh, really sparked my interest and, and led me to the University of Chicago um, and to the Cal Youth Research Team led by Professor Mark Courtney, who has really been studying outcomes among um, foster care in, in youth for for years now. A really impressive, long-term, um, very diverse studies. Um, and then I'm sure, as you know, there there is this pretty significant link between those who are in foster care and those who end up being vulnerable to situations of exploitation and trafficking.
2: Um, Absolutely. So and, from and
1: there after I finish my, yeah,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. I, uh, th- that's great. I, I just wanted to chime in or ask is your, uh, is the research that you have um uh you know, been involved in and or evaluating. Uh does it has has there been any recommendations that have come out of it or is it still underway?
1: Yeah, so um the Cal Youth research team has has been doing this investigation for many years and when I was at usc and this was uh, I believe two, maybe three years ago, I'm trying to keep track of the years here, um we we actually did a pretty large presentation with a lot of different um, agencies in California looking at the outcomes and then having a conversation actually between service providers, researchers, and youth that were in foster care or were, were in foster care at that time um, talking about possible solutions and working towards, um, you know, how are we going to get these, these outcomes better because we're looking at kids that are that are not only in the area of mental health that have these diagnoses and, and are medicated differently than the general population, but also having poor outcomes in ability to maintain work, to find housing, to, to do things that we would expect in the general population that other young adults are able to do. So we did um, begin, and, and they've been having a lot of discussions since then, about policy solutions to the problem.
2: Yes. Awesome, yeah, I mean, I think you you 're spot on at least the women that i 've been working with in the home they 're going from one medication to another medication, multiple diagnoses, and uh, from what I can see, um, the medication is really um, it 's keeping them from having explosive incidents, you know, in some situations and it's keeping them from, um, you know, keeping them from feeling some of the tremendous pain, right. That they're in, um, in some instances, um, it's helping them to not hear the voices and, you know, and some of those with some of those diagnoses, but, um, it, it, also, from what I can see, sometimes is hindering the healing process um, because they're so um, overmedicated um, that they they can't fully engage in the um, in the you know the, the 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 process of grieving for what has been done and so i was just curious if there was any you know any outcomes or um suggestions or recommendations that were made especially for you know residential programs such as ours um as we provide that trauma informed care uh to survivors uh and their children and um that's the other piece that's so interesting is um the you know the implication to the the children um when the parents are um you know, have these mental uh, challenges and the, and the different diagnoses and medications that are applied. Um, so when we come back, we're going to take a break. I'd like to drill down some more on that and then um, go back to this topic that you raised, which is, you know, the correlation between foster care and exploitation and kind of drill down on what you've seen there. And of course, I really want to get to what is going on in Ecuador? Um, you know, what's the average age of a person that's trafficked? How are you meeting the needs of the women and the men there that are being impacted by this? So, lots to talk about here with Brooke Stevenson. And uh, thank you once again for being on the show. We are going to come right back. If you want to learn more about Love Never Fails, you can go to our website at com. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. Where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst.
2: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. Again, we're in the studio with Brooke Stevenson, who's the director of development at the Hummingbird Wings Foundation. Alas de Colibri, right? Colibri. Is that right? Is that, am I saying it right? Alas de, alas de Colibri. Acento a yeah. um, at, at the, the, end, at but, the yeah. end, right? <laughs> okay, yes. that's awesome. Um, so I, I got a chance to do a little do a little Spanish today. Yay. Um, um my Very husband good. is probably rolling his eyes right now, but that's okay. We'll we'll just keep it moving. He's always like, Why is she breaking out into Ay, goño. <laughs> why is she always doing that? When when something goes wrong, the Spanish comes out. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> But, um... I am so uh, excited to be able to talk with you about the great work you're doing there in Quito, Quito Ecuador, and um, bringing the Bay Area and all the great work you've uh, been um, focused on here in terms of your you know social work and education and working on California's uh, on California statewide research projects. Really looking into the correlation between foster care and exploitation. Some of the um, um medical aspects in terms of diagnosis and you know and 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 the medicine that people are taking um you know align with those diagnoses and how it impacts the children and the uh, survivors that you've been working with and want the listening audience to learn more so speaking of that we were talking in the last segment about um, your research project and some of the findings there um Was the population of uh, folks that you were looking into, were they predominantly minors or um, did you also work with adults?
1: Um, So this study by the team was uh, specifically regarded to adolescents and then young adults. It's it's a population that's kind of overlooked a little bit in foster care. Um, And because California has extended foster care, um, it was worth uh, evaluating how that program is functioning and how it can be improved. And I want to go back a little bit to your point because there is this common thread I think in um, regarding medication and how it how it can inhibit or or support the healing process. And I think, in my opinion, I think you're pretty spot on that this. Um, this kind of quick fix logic that we see a lot in the United States that these, these medications and advancements in 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 science um, allow us to kind of rethink what healing looks like. And then when you come to a population um, such as foster care or a population that has uh, experience of sexual trafficking, sexual exploitation, um, we're seeing that that healing process, is it's not that simple. It can't be um, cured with a pill or three or four. And I do think there is this, this question worth diving into about, you know, when, when we're working with survivors and they're in a protection home or um, receiving aftercare services and coming into your care, what do those psychological services look like? What does therapy look like? I mean, that was something that brought me to Ecuador. After finishing at University of Chicago, I wanted to see how is how is the rest of the world, and specifically um, the world outside of kind of United States, um, dealing with healing? How have communities around the world been dealing with with healing from, From any form of a violation of human rights violation of um, personal interpersonal violence, how have they been dealing with that outside of this kind of this framework of medic, you know, psycho, um, psychoactive drugs, psychotropic drugs, or or even, you know, talk therapy, for example? Mm -hmm. Um, What does it look like down here? And that has been interesting because I think, when you start to look at the way cultures around the world process pain and violation um, you see something very very rounded, very, very diverse, more than just um, the processing of, of the trauma mentally, you know the being able to share your story. It's something that that allows you to physically, spiritually, psychologically. Um, release something over time in a safe environment with a new experience of love. Yes, um, And that's something that I I really think I learned here in the protection home at the and Wing Foundation.
2: Yes. And um, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that we are quite we can be very um, one or two dimensional in the way that we mm-hmm. um, address trauma, especially in, you know, in the US. Um, it's like, let's make sure that people get talk therapy and let's make sure that um you know they're talking about it and they get medication to calm their nerves and it's kind of like those are the right. two answers and if it's a government facility there's going to be no spiritual component there um you know that's not um you know because you you know you may be proselytizing people or you know forcing them to do uh, uh you know follow whatever your beliefs are to receive the services so that's not you know that's not allowed in even though there's like an an eloquent way right to introduce that component and make it vo- volunteer voluntary right um but th- there's oh, a lot yeah, of opposition to that
1: mm-hmm. go ahead yeah i think you're i think you're right i think we certainly um you know being inclusive and attending to all of the individual differences in a person includes religiosity, spirituality, and that can mean so many things. Yeah. I mean, um, the wide range of what a person considers a spiritual connection or, or what they consider their being to be and how their being is violated um, from an experience of being trafficked, of being sold, of being exploited, that is important. And we don't want to disengage any part of a person's um, uh, identity because then you just you know you leave that piece of the puzzle unhealed, unattended
2: yeah and I think you know one of the things that has come up for me many times and I I'm very um, passionate about this obviously because for me um, my my relationship with the Lord is what has healed me and so many areas I've also gone to much counseling I've also been uh, someone who at one stage was taking um, some anti-anxiety medication um, but I no longer have mm-hmm. to take that and I no longer am in um, you know like uh, intensive counseling um, I might counsel with someone from time to time but not intensive like I did in the early days but my I, I I'm constantly in prayer and I'm constantly um, uh, just filling my mind and my heart and in and everything um, that I do is is kind of wrapped around my relationship with the Lord and um, and uh, that has really given me comfort um as a survivor of many uh of, of abuse of foster care and poverty and a variety of other you know abandonment neglect um, and so um i always I get a little you know sensitive about this whole notion that we can just remove that right from the equation and um somehow people will get what they need i just I don't believe in that. And, um, I think you have to look at the whole person, you know, like you said, you know, not leave the spiritual piece out, um, and, and the other thing I wanted to mention is, um, you know, foster care and, um, human trafficking in the U.S., um, predominantly impacts African American girls. And, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, so a huge part of, um, African American culture in the U.S. is rooted in, um, our relationship with the church. And, um, you know, and, you know, thinking back to historical slavery, um, that was a time when community what, you know, when there was community, when people came together to worship God on Sundays and to um, sort of take that away from the equation, even though this is a part of the culture is um, I think it's just a, a huge issue and something we need to reconsider
1: yeah I think um, being in Ecuador has really brought that even into more light for me because um, especially when when you when you don't have um, a lot of resources for example, our foundation does a lot with a very with very little and they're they're constantly trying to to um, you know, make the programs that we have stronger, and then widen our scope so that we're able to support more survival survivors and offer more preventative services. But when you take away, so say when when you aren't able to to um, give really long term services in the U.S., there's typically this model of short term intensive care followed by long term less intensive care. Mm-hmm. But then you know, switch to Ecuador where that that. That type of service is not necessarily a reality, and so what are we doing? We're trying to look at what does a young girl have, what are her resources, and if a community is the church, you know, one community is a family. Families are incredibly important here. Um, a family can be such a huge support, a, a source of support, um, but still can faith and and the church, and so... Um, while we're not a religious organization, mm-hmm. the girls at our center have many opportunities to participate um, in their faith-based beliefs every week. Right. Um, and it's because it's not our, it's, it's this, this, you know, it's exactly what you said, this kind of rejection of in order to say, we don't want to force people, right? Well, you cannot force people into a religion and so respect their cultural exactly. and religious beliefs. Exactly. Um, and so we really try to do that because if we can't provide, um, you know, constant contact for a client, uh, a young girl, after they leave our services, you know, we're, we're in contact with them. We're making sure they know that we're here and that we're here as family for whenever they need us. But in their day-to-day, you know, that could be such an incredible source of support. Why would right. we want to take that away from someone that's already had so much taken from them and so much decided
2: for them? Absolutely. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come right back. I want to hear more about how is your program set up and how are you engaging with the community there? I just love love everything that I'm hearing so far. And so we're going to come back, hear some more from Brooke, and thanks for listening to Love Never Fails Radio.
0: To join in the fight for love, visit loveneverfailsus.com. Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio, where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst.
2: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We're in the studio today with Brooke Stevenson, the Director of Development at uh, Hummingbird. Wings Foundation, which is an anti-human trafficking organization in Quito, Ecuador. Um, so, the speaking, you know, thinking of your uh, your safe homes, and um, you currently have how many homes in Quito?
1: Yeah, our foundation only runs one protection home, um, but that protection home is one of two that are in the entire country that are dedicated to to the young women we serve. Wow. so there is a there is a definitely a need for more um, for more protection homes
2: certainly and how many beds do you have or how many survivors can you can you help at one time
1: yeah. our house yeah so our house um, I'll give you the, the whole little gist um, our house is in the northern end of Quito and it is uh, it serves at any one time a maximum of 14 young women. And so anybody that's in the house um, is uh, a young woman between the ages of 12 and 17, so all are minors, um, and they have histories of sexual exploitation and sex trafficking. So that is our population in the recovery home. Um, And the recovery home is a temporary protection home. So there's a little bit of an interesting kind of system here in which there's many homes that 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 aren't able to receive um, survivors right when they're rescued, that they're not equipped to kind of uh, support a survivor right at the moment of rescue because it is such an extreme case and typically they're needed, they need to be in a protective um, home that is unknown to anybody um, for their own safety from the traffickers that might want to, to try to get them back. So we typically have girls in our home um, from three to six months, even though there are some cases in which they would stay longer. Um, so that is the typical kind of outlook of the of the home, which we call the nido, which means the nest, um, as our symbol is the hummingbird, which is a very important symbol of of liberty and freedom here in Ecuador and for our foundation.
2: And so your home is considered an adequate rescue home?
1: Yes, definitely. Our home provides, um, firstly, the staff that run the home, the directors of the foundation, are the directors that have pretty much led the discussion countrywide on um, prevention and intervention efforts and what that plan actually looks like in Ecuador. Um, It wasn't really recognized as something that needed to be protected by law or government agencies until the last maybe six years. Um and so, uh, the directors have, lead, have been leading that discussion and in the home we provide complete wraparound services in terms of psychological, legal, medical, um, social and educational services, uh, as well as we're always constantly working with the families because the families, um, you know, they're going to be the environment that that, that young woman will be in, um, will be with. So, that's essentially our model: is to kind of provide this this new, loving experience of care, in which they can go through that really beginning stage of healing, which is can be very strong, can be very um, you know a, a wave, a roller coaster is kind of the best imagery you have of just not knowing how your body and mind are going to react to to being out of captivity um, for the first time and in an environment that isn't abusive, that isn't coercive um, and and learning how to respond to that environment.
2: Is your facility uh, like a lockdown kind of facility? Are people free to come and go as they'd like or how does that work?
1: Yeah, so our facility is um, an enclosed facility, so the girls are always, always, always accompanied by somebody in the foundation. Gotcha. And that particularly it's for a couple of reasons. As you may know, um, you know, when, when someone first comes out, because of how complicated the relationship can be between a trafficker and a victim, and, and I was listening to your discussion with Janice Jacobs, who is also kind of highlighting this, that that relationship, that kind of Romeo relationship is very real. And a lot of the girls in the house have had these experiences with people that they really truly believed loved them and wanted the best for them and cared for them. Um, and so you have this kind of risk of one, they'll want to return and the other risk, which is that that trafficker will will come and try to find them. Yeah. Um, I'm that is not out of the blue, but, um, that either pe- young girls in the house will want to try to communicate with their trafficker, um, so that they can they can go back, or that their trafficker will send people to try to find out where the house is, and so. It's- at least in the beginning, the secured location is really for the safety and the beginning of the healing process for that girl in in a positive way.
2: Yeah, and we, we have a very similar outline here. And, and interestingly, um, got a lot of pushback on it in the beginning um, stages, you know, that we were violating people's civil liberties to, you know, not allow them to, um, you know, come and go as they please or use their phones, um, you know, especially in the first mm-hmm. few months. Months. We didn't allow. We don't allow phones or computer access without supervision, and we got a lot of pushback mm-hmm. on that. But now um, the programs that have um, opted uh, to allow that have found exploiters coming to their, pro, you know, their homes, and you know, I've even heard of mm-hmm. one um, actually in the facility sleeping under the bed, and just different, really oh, alarming wow. situations that could could occur because there is that, and it's interesting. Because it's very different from labor in labor trafficking and and sex. I don't know why that is. But it feels to me like, you know, uh, uh, someone who's being sex trafficked, there's a a different kind of bond between them and their exploiter. Um, And um, and this this you know, uh, a possession thing that is happening where I need to go back there and get my my possession. And so there's this very strong drive, at least in the in the beginning for the exploiter to get the 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 girl or the, the boy, the guy back. Um, and I think after yeah. a cooling off period, that seems to disseminate. Have you found that to be true there in Ecuador as well?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. I think actually most, so um, before I came back, I, I I just come back to Ecuador to continue working with this foundation. And before I spent all of my time in the home with the girls. So I spent a year um, with uh, probably a, a quantity of, of 30 to 40 girls that passed through the house at that time. Um, and a lot of their stories were very similar to that. A lot of their stories were, you know, Man shows up and, and begins kind of this love affair, offering a lot of things that normally a young girl at the age of 16 would only dream of having. Um, and that's, you know, constant access to food, new clothes, a, tel- a cell phone, um, drugs, anything. And so you've got this relationship where this man is telling you he loves you and he's offering you the world. And then that switch slowly starts to happen, which is the you owe me for everything I've given you, and this right. is how you're going to repay me. Okay. Right, And that, for a young person, for any child, is a terrifying concept for any one period, but especially for, I think, children, adolescents who are still really developing their sense of right and wrong, of independence, of, of codependence, of, of safety and security. You've got these these guys that are really preying on that that, yep. that ability to love and trust very easily. And then they switch it, and if you owe me. You need to repay me, and um, and if you don't, I will I will kill your family. And and when you have that narrative, I think <laughs> it's, I think you have to understand that to understand the complexity of what a survivor goes through, and and, a, and the complexity of the services and the healing that they need to that go they through need. after an
2: experience like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. We're going to take a break. Um, we're going to come back um, and drill down on just exactly what kind of services do they need? You know, you've got this, this care home four months. Uh, what kind of services are you providing and what do you think are, you know, what, what services are having the most impact? We'll come right back and thanks for listening to Love Never Fails Radio.
0: For more information on this program, visit loveneverfailsus.com. Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio, where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst.
2: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. Uh, we are in the studio today with Brooke Stevenson, uh, who is the Director of Development at Hummingbird Wings Foundation, an anti-trafficking organization in Quito, Ecuador. And uh, we are talking about um, services that she is currently offering or they are currently offering in their home, uh, which is referred to as Benito the Nest, right? Um And uh, you offer services for three to six months in your home. Uh, for fourteen women and one of two homes in Quito throughout, or in throughout Ecuador, it sounds like so uh, amazing. Um, you know that you are uh, able to provide, take women, take girls between the ages of twelve and seventeen off the street um, and provide them immediate care. Just thinking some about the. Um, about the services that you're offering, what are you what are you offering today, and what is what's most effective?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's a combination. After um, discussions about this with the team, it, we've all kind of agreed it, it's it's a combination of the therapeutic services, and then this environment that's created around providing new opportunities, providing. Um, you know, giving children the, the the idea that their life can look different can be a very powerful thing. And I think especially survivors that have been through a certain experience, any of us know. Your mind starts to go down this trajectory of what life will be like. Um, and so to kind of be stopped in a very loving environment and be told and, and, and to know we're going to Help you help you decide what that future is and, give, and try to try our best with anything we have to give you the resources to reach that goal. So I think um, something as simple as having just this wide range of activities for the girls every day in which they're learning about you know, science, math, art, um, professional careers in which they actually get to meet with professionals and, and ask questions about well how did you get there? What did you study? What did you do? Um, that's a really important part, and I've seen kind of this this magic in in creating a space where where these survivors get to simply dream, dream, dream a, a little, absolutely, something. yeah, just literally dream like kids should be able to do. I think that's
2: so powerful. You know, something
1: that I thought was so powerful, and something that I thought was so funny when I was staying there was like, you know, when 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 a girl would. Um, Mm-hmm. be kind of, like, in a bad mood that day or, or, or be going through something or just really having a tough day, you kind of have this moment of, like, is this just a girl being an adolescent, like a teenage girl? Because there are some moments where really these they're just girls that are, like, you know, angry that day because they have hormones and they're they're angry and they need to express them in an environment where they feel safe. And so, you know, you, you remember that you're looking at a person and you're not looking at a case or, or one experience in particular. And so then you have to serve that person and all that they are. And that means allowing a young kid to dream and say, we're going to be that new community that's going to help you get there. No one's going to tell you what to do. So that, I think, has been really, really powerful for them, as well as coupled with psychological services. And for us, that that looks like... Semi-similar to what it would look in the U.S. actually. You have um, individual time with a therapist that's always on staff, and then you have group therapy where you're working on life projects together. So you're working on um, your plan for the future and what you want, and who's going to support you in getting there and really setting up a, a, a young girl to have a plan, um, mm-hmm. which can be really daunting for any teenager. Um but this is also where they go to this space of realizing that maybe that person that said that they love them was hurting them
2: right, yeah that realization
1: to realize
2: yeah yeah Th- that realization and that I they are are not um mm-hmm. uh, being allowed to think in those same places right they're not being allowed to um they're not being allowed to dream as you said um they're they're actually being forced to uh, think of their future in terms of their exploiters' expectations, right? And it's that—that's that, that that's so powerful. I call it vision casting, and it's—you uh, mm-hmm. know—it's—it's. It's, uh, I would agree with you. It's the most powerful thing. And actually, from a spiritual standpoint, I was just—I just was reminded of Hebrews twelve two that says, "For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat mm-hmm. down at the right hand of the throne of God." And so there you have Jesus. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And sometimes we have to uh, set a, you know, you're here for a time and it sucks that you're here. You know, you're, 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 you don't get to be with your friends. You're, you know, you're being told what to do. You have to do chores, um, you know, all these (laughs) things that you may not like doing or may have never done. But you, you, there's this joy this dream that's set before you that's going to help you move, you know, uh, uh, that's going to help you endure that, that pain.
1: Yeah, I I think you're spot on. And I think you see, at least in my experience and maybe in yours as well, you do see that kind of journey of realization, a journey of acceptance of that kind of love and support. Because uh, I think this is a common theme in working in social services that, you know, there's, there's People will say kind of, you know, they don't want help. And it's, it's not that. It's that imagine that you've never been offered help consistently without fear, without having to do or give anything of yourself. And so it takes time to adjust to a new reality in which... Your wants and desires are put forth and cherished and, and, and held high and that you're not, you know, degraded and discouraged for being the person that you're learning to be. And that, it's for anyone, is such a powerful thing. Um, yeah, and I've, seen, I've seen girls go through this phase in the house of the beginning of really fighting it, really not wanting to be there, really. And of course they miss their friends and family the whole time, but they start to realize this is, this is a good thing that's happening to me right now. And, and this is, this is good. This feels good.
2: Yeah. And I th- I found that um, trust has a lot to do with that. You know, like I think about uh, there's a few people um, just from a personal standpoint, there's a few people in my family that have said, hey, if you ever need help, I can do this or that for you. But be beware. Don't accept that help because you will pay for it, mm. mm-hmm. right? And, uh, mm-hmm. there, you know, yeah. th- if people are toxic, if people are not consistent, um, you, will, you will pay the price for taking help. And so oftentimes in yeah. these dysfunctional families and communities, this is a repeated um, pattern. And so when you come, you know, with your care home, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do I got to do to get you to love me? You will you know, it's coming. I'm sure you're going to tell me. And so it's those times. I remember uh, Pastor Rhonda Hastings. um, She was uh, sharing a story of this woman that kept um, pushing this young lady that kept pushing her away and pushing her away, pushing her away. And and she said, you know, why don't you leave? You know, I've done everything I can to irritate you, to get you to stop you know, caring about me and you don't leave. And, and she's just said, you know, because I'm not here because of your response for any particular response. I'm here because I care about you and I want you to know that I'm committed to that no matter what. And, um, you know, and so, I think, you know, one of the things that it sounds like to me is that you're actually staying in touch with these ladies after they leave your program. Is that right?
1: Yeah, the foundation does its best to to keep in contact with many of them. It's, It's a very complicated kind of layout in Ecuador. Um, because of kind of this lack of access to technology, sometimes and things like that, and, and, and moving around it looks a little different here than it does in the U.S. But the foundation does a really good job of of trying to remain that support system in case um, in case there's any risk again, in case um, someone tries to take advantage of them again. And to speak to your experiences, I have certainly had <laughs> a handful of experiences in my time in the home in which, yeah, I mean, I, I've had that exact conversation with a girl where she's just like, you are never going to understand this, so get out of my face. And I was just like, you're 100% right. Yeah. I, mean, I will never truly know what's going on in your world right now. And I love you and I'm not going anywhere.
2: But yeah. You're
1: here day after day.
2: Absolutely.
1: That that trust that you're talking about is, I I mean, I I think that's what therapy is even based in in the first place. It's this this ability to create a healthy, trusting relationship and provide a new experience of of goodness, of uh, a new level of experience.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I was actually trying to look up the guy or gal who... Um, yeah, here it is. It's uh, G.K. Chesterton. And we're going to go to break. But G.K. Chesterton said, don't ever take a fence down until you know the reason it was put up. And that was a profound quote for me in being uh, being careful about the way that we provide these services, you know, not uh, – Not having on that cape that says, you know, I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to fix you and I'm going to do all that. But taking the time to know how, why did that fence, why was that fence built uh, before we try to take it down? We're going to be right back. Um, We're going to talk about some events that are going on in the community. And thanks so much for listening to Love Never Fails Radio.
0: To join in the fight for love, visit loveneverfailsus.com. Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst.
2: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We're in studio today with Brooke Stevenson. We are so grateful to have you on the show. Thank you for being with us, Brooke.
1: Thank you so much. It's been really wonderful to, to talk about this issue with you. <laughs>
2: And I, I look forward to learning more. You know, one of the things that um, has been put on my heart is to do partner um, more with uh, the folks that are doing similar work uh, internationally and learn from each other. And just just hearing from you that many of the things that we're challenged with in the U.S. Um, are similar. And um, Ecuador helps me to know that this is a universal issue. It's a, you know, it's it's something that, It's something that is going to be cured, I believe, with love and with the time that that we've talked about to Vision Cast to allow people to dream and a variety of other services that we'll learn from one another. So I look forward to that ongoing partnership. A couple of events that are going on for those that are listening that want to get more involved. Just want to encourage you to come out um, on the 2nd of September. We have our Love My City community prayer. That's tomorrow. And uh, please reach out to Chantel at prayer at love number fails us.com and by the way if you want to pray uh, in in Ecuador please do that if you want to pray in London if you want to wherever you are if you want to uh, ag- agree with us in prayer we'd love to hear from you uh, we are praying at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time in the US and wherever you are at that time please join with us um, or do it on that Sunday sometime for yourself uh, with whoever you have in your community and declare we love our city and and um, we're invested in um, supporting those in our city who are hurting either from human trafficking or the under the underlying root causes. Um, also, on the 9th of September, we have a, in uh, Oakland City Church, we have a 930 and 1115 service that we're going to be participating in and, and, and allowing anyone who wants to come out to understand how they can engage with us at Love Never Fails. And um, thank you so much to OCC at 2735 MacArthur Boulevard. Also, on the 15th of September, we're going to be participating in Roseville's Strongest Man and Woman event. Um, and this is at 211 Kenroy Lane number two in Roseville. You can go to our website, which is com forward slash events for the details on that. We have our street outreach on the 15th of September. Please RSVP with Angela at streets S-T-R-E-E-T-S at com. And lastly, on the 23rd of 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 September 830 and 1030 in the morning, we'll be at Peninsula Bible Church in Cupertino participating in their international justice mission, Freedom Sunday. So awesome uh, time here with you, Brooke. I know you have a GoFundMe campaign you'd like to share. Yes, uh, we are wrapping up a GoFundMe campaign that we started a
1: couple months ago when the foundation received some pretty significant government funding cuts. So any support that um, anybody can offer us at this time will be really wonderful as we're closing that campaign. 100% of donations go directly to Serving These Girls, and right now all donations will be matched. And so that can be found at GoFundMe.com slash GiveHerWings2018.
2: Awesome. Okay, so you heard it here. That's how you can support Brooke and her organization. Please do do that. Also, if you want to volunteer with Love Never Fails, learn more about us, please go to our page, loveneverfailsus.com. We did start our Fight for Love book study in Hayward this week. It was on fire. I encourage you to do a book study for yourself. Books can be purchased also on the website. And then, of course... The last thing we want to leave you with, in case you didn't know or you hadn't heard it here before, we want to make sure you know that you are loved.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Love Never Fails Radio. We trust that you've been inspired by these stories of hope and love and that you'll accept our challenge to get involved by contacting us at loveneverfailsus.com, by liking and sharing our Facebook page, Facebook slash Love Never Fails Radio, or by making a contribution directly to Love Never Fails.